It's nice to have each of you with us, and it's nice to start getting back to a little bit more normal. I know that people, especially as we get back into our sanctuary, people are enjoying just sort of being back into this place. Do I get an amen? Now, if you say it really loud, they're going to think there are thousands of people in here, but that's okay. Amen. It's just good to be in here, and I welcome each of you this morning. Um, we are looking at the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church in Philippi, and we're studying through that in the months of September and October, and there's a reason why we are doing this. Philippians happens to be my favorite book in the New Testament. Actually, it's my favorite book in the Bible. And the reason is because it's the Apostle Paul, when he's in prison, writing a book of encouragement, just to keep people positive and encouraged. And I realize that's something that we need to look at in our own lives, especially as we have families with children going back to school, anxiety is at a very high level. If none of you have known that, well, trust me, it is. It's high among the kids, it's high among the teachers, it's high among families and parents. And so I thought about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote and how Paul was in prison and writes this word of encouragement to the church. What's interesting is Paul is at peace while in prison. Do you hear that? Paul's at peace while he's in prison. But we get almost in prison when things really aren't that bad around us. When the world is more at peace, we sort of become in prison to our own thoughts and our own thinking. Have you ever had that happen? That little squirrel cage in your head or that little um, gerbil? I had gerbils when I was a kid. The little gerbils got on the wheel and they just kept going and going and going. And that's sort of what we do sometimes. And then we don't find peace and we find all kinds of anxiety. And so that's why our sermon series on Philippians, we're calling it Anxious No More. And here's the key to this morning's message. We get to choose what we focus on. That's your choice. Isn't that awesome? Nobody else can tell you what to think about. You get to make that choice. You don't get to make it for someone else. You get to make it for yourself, and I get to make it for myself. And that's what Paul wants us to understand in the first part of his letter to the Philippians. Last week, we talked about how he helped us understand the importance of partnerships, his partnership with young Timothy, who was a friend, and how we all need a Christian buddy. We need somebody in our life that we can talk to and rely on and pray with. He also talked about the importance of a local church as he's writing to the church at Philippi and saying how important it was that this group of Christians were there to keep him encouraged and for him to encourage them. And now this morning as he continues this letter, and again, remember, this is a letter. Think of somebody sending you a long email. This is like a long email that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And in the next section of his letter, having talked about how important it is to have the right people in our life, now he talks about how it's important to have the right thoughts in our life. And he helps us literally refocus our thinking away from negative things to positive things. I'd like to read the scripture, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 12 through 18. When Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, and he means here brothers and sisters, he's writing to everyone in the church, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word 
without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others preach from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only and in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." The Apostle Paul is helping us refocus our thinking, and that's what he just did. He's looking at his bad situation. He's sitting here in a prison cell, and he's saying, you know, I could be all negative and, and be in despair and be telling everybody how awful my life was, and you know I'd have every right to do it because I'm sitting here with guards who are guarding me, and I didn't do anything wrong. The entire reason why Paul is in prison is because he's doing what you and I are doing. He's living the Christian faith. He's just living it in a pagan culture, and he's living it in the early days of the Christian faith, in which the Roman government has made a decision that this new movement of people who believe in Jesus must be doing something bad. Look, they're starting to gather together. Look how they're meeting weekly. Look how they're going to each other's house, and then they're hearing weird things about how they're eating the body and blood of Christ. They're thinking, what are these, cannibals or something? It's true. That's how the early Christians were viewed by the Roman government. And they didn't understand who these people were. They didn't understand our faith. And therefore, people like the Apostle Paul started to get persecuted. And that persecution goes on for about 300 years in the early church. And you read about it throughout the book of Acts and in things like Paul's letter here this morning. But rather than focusing on woe is me and how difficult things are, the Apostle Paul refocuses his thinking and shows people how we do not have to be caught up in our negative thoughts. We don't need to be caught up in our negative thoughts or our negative thinking, but rather we can replace it with God's truth. That there's a truth beyond you and me that when we focus on that and we let that be the center of what we think about, it completely changes how we feel about life. And that's what he does in this next part of the letter. And it begins with learning to trust God. That's where God's truth begins. It's learning to trust God. Now, isn't that easy to say, I trust God? But it doesn't mean anything until we put it in practice. It's easy to tell someone else when they're going through a tough time, you need to trust God. But the key is learning not to say we trust God, but to actually trust God. To go through a situation or a time of uncertainty and say, I am going to choose at this point to put my trust in God and not in my own experience, my own thoughts, and my own feelings. That's what Paul does in verse 12 when he says, you know, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Rather than trusting in his own thinking or trusting in the circumstances around him, Rather than saying, I can get out of this bad situation, he trusts that God is working and God's got control of his life. And you and I can do that at every single moment of our life, no matter what's going on. We can be in a difficult situation. We can be in a painful situation. We can be driving down the street and somebody can cut us off and we can say, you know, at this moment, I'm going to learn to trust God. What's God trying to teach me through this? It's a constant, constant way of refocusing our thinking. Paul's life was not where he wanted it to be. Do I get an amen? Think of it. How many of you are sitting here this morning hoping that we could 
put you in jail here in Plymouth? Did you come here this morning so we could get you a free pass to spend the, the next weeks or months in jail in Plymouth? None of us wanted to do that, to go to the House of Correction. But that's what's happened to Paul. Only worse, he's not in a place like the Plymouth Jail. He's in a place where he's bound, he's probably chained at this point. It's not the situation he wanted to face. But even though he's not where he wanted to be, he chose to trust God and not his feelings. Because think of the feelings he would have had if he started thinking about, how did I get there? How unfair this is? And instead of trusting in that, he trusts in God. And he says, I'm just going to trust that what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Because he looked at his own life, he's a church planter. He's a guy who's gone out all over the Roman world for the purpose of telling other people about Christ and setting up new churches. And he's just trusting that when people hear that he's in prison because of his faith, that it's going to cause other people to come to faith and start new churches. We've seen that same thing throughout human history. In the early church, when the early Christians were persecuted, what it ended up doing is causing other people to look at us as Christians and say, look at how they're able to go through that, and others came to faith in Christ. We see the same thing in communist China. In the 1930s, China was closed down by the communists for any kind of Christian public worship. Then in the 1970s, China starts to open up, and Americans start going in, and Christians start to say, gee, I wonder what happened to the church during that time of persecution. And do you know what happened? The church grew. It grew more during the time of persecution and the communists shutting it down than had it had open worship, because all of a sudden people started to see other Christians really trust God. You see, when we really trust God, it allows others to see us trust God, and that's what Paul says. I'm trusting God, and I'm seeing the good things that God is doing it. When we do that, it gives us peace. It allows us to be okay with life. I remember a time when my mom and dad were out visiting, and we were living in Lincoln, Rhode Island at the time, and my mom, we woke up in the morning, and my mom said, I think I had a heart attack last night. Like, what? I think I had a heart attack last night. I said, Mom, you didn't wake any of us up. She goes, No, I actually didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And I was laying here in bed thinking, This is interesting. I'm having a heart attack. Well, we got my mom to the hospital and they got her checked in. And yes, in fact, she had had a heart attack and she spent some time in the hospital. And the doctor came in and and told us what was going on. And I was in there when he was telling all the things that had happened to her heart. And I walked out of the room, and I was standing there just sobbing. And the doctor came out, and he said, Stan, what's wrong? I said, my mom's dying. And he said, don't you have faith? I said, what do you mean? He said, your mom's heart could not serve you. Because you're a young man at the time I was in my 30s. He said, it couldn't serve you. But it's okay for your mom. She's going to be okay. Because she is not doing all the activity that a young person is doing. You need to be okay. It's going to be fine. Your mom's going to make it. And I realized at that moment, I was not trusting God. I was trusting my own thoughts, my own feelings, and wanting things to be my way. And I had to have a shift. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. When we face tough things, when we face situations of uncertainty, literally put our trust in God. My mom didn't have the heart attack when she was in her 30s. She had it when she was in her 80s. 
God is sovereign and God is in control. And if we want to have peace, we need to learn to start being like Paul is in prison. And it begins with trusting God. And then it goes to what we remember. Did you know we all remember something? In fact, there's only two things in life that will ever mess you up. Two. The past and the future. So our thoughts about the past and it's our projections about the future. Those are the things that mess us up. So the next thing Paul helps us understand is not just to trust God, but remember what's good. We get to make that choice every day. You get to choose whether to remember negative things in your life or remember good things in your life. I get to choose what I remember and what I get to recall in my thinking. Verse 13, Paul talks about what he's remembering. He goes, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest about my imprisonment. And he's saying, all this stuff that I'm doing, all this faithfulness that I'm having, has led Roman soldiers to a faith in Christ. And somehow, somewhere, somebody had shared that with Paul. They'd say, you know, Paul, because you're a faithful Christian and because you've been okay and you've been so positive as you've been here in prison, other Roman guards are coming to faith in Christ. And now Paul gets to choose what he remembers. And he chooses to remember that somebody told him that. Isn't that awesome? Somebody just gave him a good news. There's one day that somebody must have said, maybe Timothy did it. said, you know, Paul, I'm hearing about the fact that other people are becoming Christians, even in the Roman guard, because you've chosen to be a faithful Christian, even at your time of imprisonment. And now, during a moment when he could be discouraged, Paul chooses, chooses to remember that. Later, when Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy, he's an old man at this point, and he's looking back on his life, and he says, I ran the good race. I fought the good fight. See, again, he's remembering the good things in his life. He's not remembering the disappointments and the pains and the failures and the things that didn't go well. He's choosing to remember how he worked hard and God was faithful no matter what he faced. What do you and I remember when life is tough? What do you choose to remember? What do you remember? Do you stop and, and think about the disappointments and the failures and a job loss that you have or a relationship that got broken or something that happened bad? Because we can all sit and dwell and remember on those things forever. And some are worse than others, but it's all stuff that just takes us down mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Or do we pause and remember the good things? One time, my father was out visiting, and he was retired at the time. And I remember exactly where we were. We were up in Boston, and we were walking through the public garden. And my dad was very discouraged that day. And I said, Daddy, what's wrong? And he said, I just have been thinking about all the things that just didn't go as well as I would have liked to in my life. And I said, well, like what? And he said, you know, I never really got to build a very good-sized congregation. I said, Daddy, you lived in North Dakota. You lived out among the cows and the, and the pastures. There, there weren't really a lot of people there. And he goes, yeah, I know. But he said, I just was thinking about it and just some disappointments. And at that moment, I realized as his son, I had a responsibility to help him recall the good things. 
And I started with his children. I said, look at how successful and how well all of your kids have done and how we're all Christians and we're all serving Christ, how your oldest son is a doctor and you have another one who's a head elder in a church and you have a son who's a pastor and you have a daughter who is a nurse practitioner and another daughter who's a music director in our church at the time. And I could see him starting to just lighten up a little bit. And he goes, yeah. And I said, let's talk about that. And so we started talking about that. And then I started talking about people who his ministry had touched over the years, about a young man who had gone into ministry because of my father and had given my father credit for that, or another good friend of mine who became a doctor who always said how important my dad was in his life and helping him realize the importance of serving other people. And then I talked about a marriage that he'd shared with me the story about a family that had really been in a rocky place, and particularly the father and the daughter had just had a total falling out right around the time of, of her wedding, and how my dad had worked hard and had restored that family, and how thankful they were for the work that my dad had done in their life. By the end of our conversation, my dad was laughing, and I could see that the entire demeanor had changed, because it all matters what we remember. We all get to choose what we remember in our life. And Paul is sitting in prison remembering what God has done through him and something positive that somebody has told him. And now, having trusted God and remembering what God had done and the good things that happened in his life, he helps us realize that we need to understand what God is doing. You see, we all seek understanding of something. Everybody's trying to figure something out in their life. Amen? We're all trying to figure out something in life. And far too often, we're trying to figure out the negative things that we will never figure out. How did that bad thing happen? How could God have allowed this to happen in my life? People will come to me and they'll say, you're a Christian? Yes. You believe in God? Yes. You believe God's sovereign? Yes. Explain to me the Holocaust. I have a simple answer. I can't. I can't. There are negative things I will never understand. We all have our list. We have this long list that when we get to heaven, we're ready to hand it to Jesus and say, I'd like you to explain every one of these things because none of them made sense. But as long as we keep focusing on trying to understand all of this awful bad stuff, we're not going to have peace in our life, and a lot of it we will never figure out. But we can understand what's good and the good things that God is doing. And that's the next thing that Paul tells us in verse 14. He says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul chose to understand what God was doing. And he realized not only were people coming to faith in Christ, but he had spent his life investing it in young people. And he tried to get guys like Timothy and young Titus to be bold Christians. He'd taken some of the young women in the church and tried to get them to disciple other women and stop having arguments in, in situations or, or worrying about certain things that were beyond their control and to become people who invested their lives in others. And now, all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul, sitting there in prison, living out his faith in a positive way, realized that a lot of what he was trying to do with people's lives was now happening because he was just simply choosing to be faithful. And so he understood what God was doing. He had a different perspective on what was happening in his life. Think about that. He'd worked so hard to get these people to share their faith with others, and now they were learning to share their faith with others. 
So he understood what God was doing. You know, if you try to understand the good that God's doing in your life and in the world, you will discover that. If you go through a tough situation in life, I can very simply help you understand how God can use that for a positive. You're now in a position where you can help somebody else going through the same thing. Only you, no one else can. With my father's Alzheimer's, I became sensitive towards people who have Alzheimer's in a way I never had been before. I never understood what it was like to have a family member have Alzheimer's until my dad had Alzheimer's. It wasn't hard for me to understand why God allowed me to be the son of somebody who had Alzheimer's. Same thing happens when people have had tragedies in their life. People have a job loss. Remember a time when my wife lost a job? And it was other people who had lost jobs who in the church were able to come to her and explain to her, everything's going to be okay, I'm praying for you, you can get through this, and we will listen to people who have had the same experiences so we can understand what God is doing. It was just about a year ago that our son Todd, he's, we call him Little Todd, which I always think is interesting, because David's this tall and Todd's this tall. Well, we kind of call him Little Todd because of my nephew, who's this tall, but then Todd, our son, is this tall. We still call him Little Todd. Well, Little Todd, our youngest son, was getting married out in Ohio. And Laura made the decision, because it was towards the end of her pregnancy, that the doctor advised her that it probably was not a good idea for her to travel out, so she stayed here in Massachusetts. The wedding was beautiful and was wonderful, and the next day we got a phone call from Laura that she was headed to the hospital, and we were all out in Ohio. Now, why the bad thing happened and tried to understand, we couldn't, because she'd made every decision that was right, but all of a sudden, we're out in Ohio, and Laura's back here in Massachusetts, but we could understand that God had given her wisdom to not get on a plane and have this all happen in Ohio. We could see God doing good in there. And then, David was very anxious and saying, what do I do? And we said, this is easy. We're going to take you to the airport, and you're just going to get on the plane, and you're going to fly back out. And he said, should I go to the hotel? And we we're like, no, just, let's just take you to the airport and get on the plane and fly out. And people were awesome at the airport. He said he'd never seen that he could get through a, a gate, and he just went up and told the people what were happening at the ticket office, and they just got him right on the plane. And lo and behold, he gets on the plane, and Jack Haley, who had been out at our wedding because he was Todd's good friend, happened to be on the flight, same flight, and we started, he started to see what God's doing. He started to understand God's plan in all of it. So Matt Haley picked them up at the airport and was able to drive David right to the hospital to see Laura. Now, I can't understand some of the negative stuff, but we can understand the good that God's doing when we look for it. We just look, God, what's the good you're bringing out of this? Romans 8, 28. And everything God promises to bring good out of every bad situation, no matter how difficult it is, it's not that the bad situations aren't bad. They are. Tough situations are tough. But God will bring good out of it. And that's how we start having peace in our life. We trust God. We remember what's good. And we try to understand what God is doing. And then we start to think from God's perspective, not ours. Because we're totally limited in how we view this world. You and I just see it from our own very narrow viewpoint. In verse 15, that's what Paul starts talking about. He says, you know, some people preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but out of, others out of goodwill. But he goes, doesn't matter why people preach Christ, because in every way Christ is being preached. 
So what he's looking at here is he's realizing that from a human perspective, there were people out there who opposed him who only started to tell others about Christ to show that they could build a bigger church and a better church than Paul had done. They're like, I'm going to show this guy Paul. He thinks he's such a special evangelist. I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a bigger church than he did. And Paul said, isn't that great? A new church was formed. See, we look from our human perspective and we start getting jealous with one another. We start seeing a church in town that's doing well and we start thinking, how come they're doing well and we're not? How come they're doing better than we are? Paul says, don't look at life that way. Think from God's perspective and look at how good things are going. From a human perspective, there were divisions in the early church and that meant two people didn't get along with each other and so they both started their own church. Paul said, isn't that great? From God's perspective, now I've got two churches in town instead of one. From our human perspective, we'll drive ourselves nuts. From God's perspective, we start having peace and serenity in our lives. You know, we do a lot of work around here with people in recovery, and that's one of the things I've learned from the recovery community. Do you know how a new AA group gets started? Two people in an old AA group don't get along, and so somebody goes, I'm going to show them, and they go start their new group, and all of a sudden more people get helped in recovery than could have been helped before. Or they'll, somebody will get mad at a particular building where they're meeting, and they're like, I'm going to show somebody. I'm going to build a bigger group over there, and now instead of having one Alcoholics Anonymous group in town, you have a second one. The same thing happened with Narcotics Anonymous. Ever think about that? There's AA and NA. Do you know why there's NA? It was a resentment that some people who had an opioid or opioid addiction had towards people who were alcoholics, and they were upset over the way in which alcoholics were dealing with their group, and so they said, we're going to show them, we're going to go start our own group. Do you know what the result is? You help more people. From God's perspective, when people don't get along and somebody goes out and does something new, it only advances God's work in this world. Take that into every area of our lives. So often we look at our own limited human experience. But from God's perspective, it's totally different. How does your life change? when you get out of your own thinking and try to look at God's view of my life. Why did I lose this job? Because then I'm able to come over here and have a ministry with people over here and pray for people in a new community. Why did a certain thing happen in my life? From my perspective, it doesn't make sense. From God's perspective, by allowing you to be the one who experienced it, now you have an opportunity to minister to others and help other people who go through struggles. See why Paul's able to give us peace? Why his words help us to understand a different way of looking at life. And he ends with this. You know, happiness is a choice. I want one more amen. Happiness is a choice. It's a choice. We get to choose our happiness. Every single day when you get up in the morning, you get to choose your happiness, and nobody can take your joy away from you. If you and I choose to be happy, we're choosing to live for God and choosing to live the way he wants us to live. He goes, Christ is proclaimed, verse 18, and in that I rejoice. You see, here's a church planter. Here's a guy who's trying to help people in the Roman world understand that Jesus is Lord and Savior and start new churches and communities. And you know what he focuses on when he's in prison? New churches are starting. 
Here's a guy who's sitting in prison who could say, how come I don't get to go out and do that? But instead he says, I get to choose that because I'm here, there's people out there who are trying to do it better than me, and so I get to rejoice that look what God's doing in our world. Every day, you and I can choose to focus on something that makes us happy. The question is whether we will do it. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I have a sleepless night. Anybody here ever have a sleepless night? I had a great one this last week. 2.30 in the morning, out of a dead sleep, I woke up. And all of a sudden, I was like thinking of stuff I shouldn't be thinking of and did, trying to take Pastor Stan's will back, thinking that I have control over stuff that I can never control. I was so upset that I thought, I'm going to do something different. I decided I was going to get up, and Horace Lukens, who attends our church, is a psychologist. He has his PhD from psychology, and he used to work in a Christian ministry down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he knew that I was doing this sermon series on anxiety, and he had sent me something. And so I decided I will get up in the middle of the night, all upset, and I'll do something that will help my congregation. I will read the email and the information that Horace sent me, and I'll think about how I can present it to the congregation. So there was a total altruism in my, my thinking at that point. Nothing for me, it's all for all of you. And I opened up the email, and Horace had sent me this wonderful little chart. Anybody who wants it, I can make you copies after worship, or if you text me, 774404. 4314, I will send it to you. And it says, my false beliefs, the result. God's truth, the result. Simple. So I read through it, not thinking anything about myself, thinking, gee, this is something that I can present on a Sunday morning. And it has stuff like my false belief. I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. I go, yeah, it's a false belief. The result is I have a fear of failure. God's truth is because of what Jesus did for me, I'm forgiven. And the result of that is I discover new intensity about life. My false belief is I must have the approval of certain people. The result of that really false belief is a fear of rejection. God's truth is because I've been reconciled to God, I have no fear of rejection. The result of that is I become willing to be open and vulnerable. My false belief is anyone who fails is unworthy of love and deserves to be punished. The results of that kind of false belief is fear of punishment, and I want to punish others or blame others for my failures. But the truth that the Scripture teaches us is because my sins are completely forgiven, I know that I'm loved by God, and the result of that is I become free from fear of punishment, and I learn to be kind and patient to other people. His life is not about winning and losing and punishment or anything like that. And the last one he had on here is, I am what I am is a false belief. I can't change. The result of that false belief is a feeling of inferiority. I develop negative and destructive habits in my life. But he said that God's truth is because I'm a new person in Christ, I'm complete in Christ and I don't ever have to be ashamed the result, if I start thinking that way, is I live a Christ-centered life with confidence and joy. At that moment, I realized I could fall back asleep. And I laid down and I slept the rest of the night. You see, it really does matter what we think about. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. 
If we focus on the negative and the things that bother us and the things that we failed to do or the things that don't make sense and we try to figure them out, we will drive ourselves crazy. But when we can learn to go from our thoughts to God's truth, we learn to trust God, to remember what's good, to understand what God's doing, to think from God's perspective, and we discover every single day that happiness is a choice. I pray that you will read through over and over Paul's letter to the Philippians. It is an awesome letter. It's a letter. It's not some big, long, exhaustive book. It's a letter lovingly written from the Apostle Paul to Christians to help us understand how he found peace even in the most difficult time in his life. And that's what God wants for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we live in an anxious time and in a time in which people face so many things that discourage them. Help us to receive comfort from what you're doing in our lives. Don't let us think that we can change ourselves. We can't, but we can change what we focus on and let your Holy Spirit change us from the inside out. Help us to do that as Christians. Help us to realize that it is your desire to transform us into the people you want us to be. That is a work of your Holy Spirit working in the hearts of your people. We thank you for your love and for your grace and for your goodness. And for people like Paul who were able to focus us back on what you're doing in our world and in our lives. We pray your blessing on the congregation gathered here and wherever we are this week. Help us trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.